I'm super happy to be able to do this. This is really for me. <laughs> but you guys are going to enjoy the benefit of it, too. Uh, I'm welcoming Dr. Milton Little to the podcast today. This is, thank God, <laughs> somebody I met uh, who really, I mean, you put me back together. And I'm so fortunate that it was you. Um, so when I got injured, which like all everybody who watched my podcast knows about, um, you know, I told you this. I told other doctors that I, I went to a still to be named hospital that I told myself I didn't want to be in. And uh, I was like, I left. Then I went home, which I learned was stupid. Yeah, I don't understand how yeah? you did that. Okay. Um, I didn't sleep very well. And then I went to another doctor who was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and he was like, you need to go to the hospital. And then he was looking at my, my um, injuries and he's, he'd seen the images and x-rays from that first hospital. And he goes, you know what you really want to do this operation is Dr. Little. And I was like, cool, can I get him? And he was like, I don't know. He's like, I'll text and I'll see if I can get him for you. And then it was just, I just had your name in my head and I went to the hospital, and every time uh, somebody from the orthopedic team would come in, I'd be like, is Dr. Little gonna do this? And they were like, oh, you know about Dr. Little? I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, cause, I mean, and then I, I fortunately got to have you perform these surgeries, which we'll get to in a moment. First of all, let's just acknowledge what a high achiever you are. So you are not only, because anyone who's a doctor, I mean, we all grew up being like doctors are the best of us. <laughs> They're the smartest. And you not only are a doctor, uh, you went to Stanford where you also ran track. Yeah, so you also, you were like, being a real smart guy is not enough. <laughs> I'm also super athletic. So I always wonder this about people that achieve so much. So I assume in grade school, high school, you were probably a, like an A student, right? You probably I, was. I was. How much of it, because you usually see like it's some combination or one or the other is like, you being driven and how much of it was like parents being like you're gonna get good grades like is it a combination of the two? Oh, it's definitely a combination right so i come from a family my mom's a retired principal now but she was a teacher forever mm -hmm. my mom's mom was a was a teacher um my dad's mother was a teacher wow. one of my aunts a teacher my you know my mom my dad was he works for a nonprofit, so he now works for the united way in atlanta so he was always working, always working for kind of improving things for people who were less fortunate. Yep. Um, my, you know, maternal grandfather was a family practice physician. He was the first, one of the first black doctors in a town called Ypsilanti to actually have his own practice. Wow. Um, he actually delivered my stepdad and all of his siblings. Um, Whoa. So, you know, I think they kind of set a bar for you to sure you have things that you need to accomplish. And, you know, there was never pressure from them like outwardly other than knowing that I would get in trouble if I didn't do my job or handle my business. Mm -hmm. So I always kind of had it in my mind that if I do well, if I, if I work well in school, then, you know, it'll pay off in the end. Sure. And I think probably the thing that was one of my biggest motivators was the fact that my, you know, we lived with my grandparents for a year in Ypsilanti. And so if you've ever, Ypsilanti, Michigan is like just outside of Ann Arbor. It's a small town. Mm -hmm. And like I said, when he delivered my stepdad. So if you go to the major store, which is Meyer, mm -hmm. um, you're going to run into people who my grandfather has either delivered or delivered their children. Like wow, every time. 
Wow. And my grandmother was, you know, my grandmother was a teacher, but she was also, she tutored kids in the neighborhood. She, you know, ran some of the Girl Scout troops. So they were really like members of the community who were always involved. Mm -hmm. So like you see their impact on the community and you're like, well, all right, I guess I'm, I'm, you know, I have to do something with my life. I yeah, to, I mean, it's, right? it's 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 a super cool story. It's also, I, I think, part of like hearing that makes me go, oh, that you have to credit someone's environment a bit to like them oh. being like fostering the good habits and the encouragement and yeah. like look what can be achieved, you know? Because yeah. it's a big. I mean, I think it's such a huge deal when you see people who look like you who are doing things like that, right? Yeah, when, sure. When you have them as tangible examples of like of life. Yeah. And so I think that was a big part for me. And then, you know, when you ask, is it something intrinsic? You know, when I was, I went to public school, we, you know, we moved around a bunch, but eventually ended up in LA. So I went to, you know, we lived in Echo Park for, from 88 to like 93. So early, late mm -hmm. 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And then from there to the Valley. And I went to public school my whole life up at that point. And an assistant principal at our school had talked to kids about possibly going to boarding school. So, you know, I filled out applications and kind of got a scholarship without really talking to my parents. Yeah. And then came to mom and was like, you know, I think boarding school would be a good good idea for me because I think I need a little bit of a kick in the butt. Really? Um, and, you know. Her you felt my, like you needed that? Yeah. Really? And so her and my dad, you know, they, and my stepdad and my stepmom kind of scrounged together, you know, money for me to go visit. And then from there, they... You know, I ended up getting the scholarship to go, and and so it was just that kind of was the thing that really also changed my life. Going to um, that boarding school, yeah, big time. And so where was, was the boarding school? Rhode Island. So it was a small school called Portsmouth Abbey in mm -hmm. Rhode Island. And so, you know, for somebody living in L.A. and New York, yeah. their whole life, and then yeah. you know, small town Ypsilanti. It was Harlem, right? Yeah, yeah. born in Harlem. Um, you know, my dad was always in New York, so I was always back in New York for Christmases, for for holidays, and and. You know, Portsmouth was a different, was a little different speed. I bet. That's not Harlem <laughs> or LA. It's not no. Harlem, it's not LA. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, and then you credit the people who were there with you. Yeah. You know, I have some of my closest friends who I am still extremely close with and still talk to regularly. Yeah. Who, you know, were from the city, who I spent time with in the city, you know. So. And how much time did you spend in that boarding school? So I was there from sophomore year to, to senior year. Okay. So like when I... The crazy thing is when I when I got accepted, the assistant principal at my my middle school was like, "Oh yeah, he he's probably going to need to do another year, um, so he's probably going to have to repeat a year." Really? Yeah, and I was like, "No," <laughs> and because you know they they that was just they didn't know how I would handle. Yeah. But someone told me that, which was good yeah. because that was like one of those things that was a chip on my shoulder. And I was sure. Like, I can guarantee I'm not going to have to kind of repeat that year. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it was a motivator. And, yeah, and to help. really achieve. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So you talk about, it's funny, the, the like the importance of seeing people like like representation, basically, yeah. which is something I, I feel like you, like you learn more as you get older yeah. when you're white. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just used to everybody looking like me doing things. Yeah. And then I go, like, the older you get, you're like, oh, like, to like, especially like a young kid, seeing like a black doctor being like, oh, like I could be that. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it, you know, I mean, for, for many people, they just literally do not think that is an option. It's crazy. You know what I mean? right? It's like, yeah. it's like, well, 
No, or or I mean, for me, I got I got lucky, right? I had a I had a black first grade teacher mm -hmm. um, when I was in Michigan, and I my kindergarten teachers were black. Yeah. Um, and then when I, you know, but after that, until high school, you know, all of middle school, I didn't have any black teachers. Yeah. Um, after first grade, I didn't have any black teachers in elementary school. But, you know, I grew up I grew up in education. So right. So you were used to that. I'm used to yeah, it. Yeah. So it was not like well, this strange thing. I always remember that um, you know, before Obama, there were like there was a there's this movie with Bernie Mac and Chris Rock. Yeah. Where it's like a joke <laughs> yeah, about a black guy <laughs> becoming president. Everyone's like, That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and then I remember I opened for Tommy Davidson one time and that was like one of his big bits yeah. was he's like, uh, I'm gonna do an impression of the first black president ever. <laughs> And he would walk up and grab the mic and go and fall on the ground, and the place would fall apart. And he'd be like, "Just kidding! There'll never be a black." Like it was a that's joke. A, but that's the greatest. Like that's one of the greatest Richard Pryor skits of all time. The black, right? Yeah, the yeah, black president yeah, skit. Yeah. And then you know Dave Chappelle's version of yeah, it. Yeah. And everybody has like a version of it. Yeah. And, and but it, you know. It's, but then a kid who's growing up in like you know two thousand five eight, you know, like that in that time goes like. Oh, it's just it's a president. It's a president, yeah. And then it normalizes it to them <laughs> to some extent. To some extent, well, yeah. I mean, look, there's not going to be another one for a while, just so you know. Normalize yeah, yeah. to an extent. Yeah, yeah, to an extent. They'll be like, we got one in a hundred years ago. That's a lot of time. Yeah. So, all right. So, not only are you academically super, but then you also you were were you a broad jumper? That yeah, was I was a long jumper. Yeah. Long jumper. So I was a, you know, I was a long jumper at Stanford. So I did a bunch of sports Dude, come in, on. You know, at high school. Yeah. And, you know, the, the length that I, I jumped in high school was pretty, I mean, it was, I jumped 21.9, which is not particularly far. It's not far for a, a real high school, like elite high, uh, elite, uh, elite high school athlete mm -hmm. is not that far. An elite high school woman will jump that far mm -hmm. um, or further. Wow. You know what I mean? But for a, a an elite male athlete, it is not far at all. So- I go to talk to my like coach, this guy named Edric Florial, who is the greatest long jumper, triple jumper in the history of uh, Canada. Um, he's the head coach at University of Texas. He's like one of my biggest mentors of all time. So I go to talk to him and I'm like, you know, these are my times, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he's like, okay, kid. Yeah. So not like I hear nothing from him, nothing, but I call my high school coach and I'm like, can you give this guy a call, please? Mm -hmm. And so he calls him. And he's like, all right, well, show up to this, show up to this workout. Mm -hmm. So it's this stadium workout at this, the old Stanford Stadium. It's this old, it used to be an Olympic stadium, and it's just like a giant football stadium with all of these stadiums, like all of these, the stadium seating and like hills yeah. and whatnot. And at this point, are you like a freshman? I'm there? a freshman. I'm okay. literally, it's like first couple weeks of, at Stanford. And okay. So I'm a freshman. I show up and I'm from New York and, you know, I'm wearing Timberland boots and like jeans and I have shorts under my jeans, like basketball shorts yeah. under my jeans. I borrow a pair of shoes from my roommate. Uh -huh. um, and I'm like, okay, I'll do this workout. So he sees me come down like this hill on a bike with Tim's on. Like I take off my stuff and yeah. he's like, who is this kid? Like, yeah. he, he's like, this kid is nuts. Yeah. Um, and he's you can like, do these you, in Tim's yeah, he's like, He's <laughs> like, are you going to stretch? So I'm like... You know, like, yeah, yeah. Lino, you know, I mean, yeah. now that I'm 40 years old, about to be 40 years old, yeah, I, you know, doing something like that without stretching, I'd die. Yeah, I'd probably just, just, I'd fall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I almost did. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I didn't I, stretch that day. I, I lean, stretch a little bit, and I do this workout. 
And, you know, it's with members of the team. Right. And so I'm doing this workout with members of the team. And I'm just like. Casually going keep, through casually, it. Keeping it up with everybody. And like doing well. And he's like looking. And there's another guy, the, the, the throws coach, a guy named Robert Ware is there as well. And he's like, this kid is crazy. Like he's crazy. Like he's absolutely bananas. Like I don't understand yeah. why he's keeping up. And so I just. So you're, in, but so obviously you're in really good physical I, condition. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I was, once again, you're 18 years old. It's yeah, like, 18. <laughs> it's like, all right, what, what do you want me to do? You can, also, like, you can drink like a bottle of whiskey and be like, I'm fine the next day. Yeah. No. yeah. So I, I finished his workout and he's like, show, okay, come tomorrow. And so I make the team based on one workout. What? And yeah. And like, we spend the first, we probably spent the first four months of me on the team just trying everything out like i ran hurdle, oh, like oh, i ran okay. hurdles in high school i did long jump and triple jump in high school um but you know like i said the times in does it become clear to you that long jump is your best event like or to it, them it, it starts to right okay. it starts to become clear that like jumping is probably going to be the best event or we can put this guy in a relay because he's kind of psycho um or he, he's kind of you know he's he's just he's, he'll just run hard he's yeah just, he'll yeah. like run through a wall for you he'll do it in tim's <laughs> okay. crazy. Yeah. yeah so he you know so i start long jumping and you know the crazy thing is um you start i start long jumping and within my first year i jumped 21 9 um in high school i end up jumping like 23 something by the end of of first year and you know, it's, it's a decent time. Like it's a, it's a, it's a decent length. It's a f like early young person, competitive length mm -hmm. for kind of college. Okay. And then, you know, life happens and I keep working and my sophomore year, I end up jumping 25, eight, which is, you know, I'm like top 15 in the country in NCAA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things just kind of work out where, I become a member of the relay team. I become a pretty good Pac-10, you know, long jumper. Um, wild. I win Pac-10s Pac my junior year of college. Wow. I'm captain of the team my junior and senior year. I jump at Olympic trials. Um, I, I sucked at Olympic trials, but I jumped at Olympic trials. And Look, you went to <laughs> Olympic trials. So How it was about just, that? It was just like, you know, and I spent a year at Stanford coaching track with him. You did? Yeah. So in between, after I finished... Like undergrad, I spent a year at Stanford coaching track and doing research wow. and applying to med school. What's and your best long jump? So my best long jump is, you know, seven ninety nine or like um, twenty uh, twenty six four, I think. Twenty six so, yeah. four. Yeah. So but between finishing high school and that best jump, you increase it by like six feet. Yeah, basically. Which is which is crazy. Yeah. Which is banana. It's it's and that's like training. Yeah, technique. that's training. Having a technique coach, yeah. having somebody who knows what he's doing. And you obviously got stronger. I got, yeah. And, yeah. I got a lot stronger. You're doing like weight training. I told you my my dad did long jump. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, uh, ask him if he ever got 20 feet. Like, okay. And I, I asked him. He was like 26. I was like, he got 26. He was like, oh. I was like, yeah, it's a little further than than you thought. So yeah. So that's so that's how I end up like long jumping. It's, it's wild. Yeah. That's one of those events too, where you know it's not covered every night in sports no. center. No, so like, it's... I have no. You could have been like, I jumped 15 feet. I'd be like, wow, I have no idea. You know how far that is, but but it's also another. It's an incredible accomplishment. So 26.4 is that you said? 26.4. Yep. That now that is, that's elite, right? Yeah. So I I at the time that you know 
that jump put me in like top 10 or 15 for the country that year. Wow. Um, actually a little bit, like probably about top 10 for the country that year. So I, I should have jumped a lot further at trials and I just, that's, you know, uh, it sounds like when, day. when I think about it, it's like 20, I'm like, wait, that's like a fucking semi truck. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> How the hell did you jump that far? <laughs> it's fine. And you know, I, I have to give, not, I have to keep, give credit to my wife for always like keeping me like down. Oh yeah. Um, They're good at know, that. Yeah. My wife, yeah. my wife, Erica, and you know, I have three kids. Joy, Elise, the oldest, mm-hmm. Miles and Langston, and I have to say their names, or of course. I will get in a lot of, of trouble. Of course, of course. But you know, one day they were like, "Well, show us how far you jump, Dad." So I like step out twenty six feet, and she looks at me. She goes, "You're lying." <laughs> so was she with you at the time? No. Okay. So my my wife and I met. We met freshman year of college. Oh, you did? Um, yeah, we met. So she went to Stanford. So um, someone else who's very smart. Yeah. So yeah. we we actually met at this thing like they call Admit Weekend, which is like this. Um, Anybody who gets ad- admitted to Stanford, they have you come in for a weekend and just to kind of experience what it's like being there. So I meet my wife at this weekend, and like I'm very shy and quiet, mm-hmm. but like she's extremely beautiful, mm-hmm. and I'm in love with her mm-hmm. immediately. Really? Yeah, immediately. That's I, awesome. So, but I do not contact her at all. Right. So, like, because I'm like, you're shy. I'm shy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, we we I decide I'm going to Stanford. She is like early decision or something, so she had to go there. So I um, we end up at Stanford at the beginning. We hang out like thick as thin, thick, thick as thieves. We're friends, and then we start dating by like October of freshman year. Oh, that's pretty. That's quickly. pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, school starts you know early September, late October, early okay. September, okay, like late August. So we date for a couple of years in college, break up, and kind of live our own separate lives, mm-hmm. and then. I think my 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 right before my second year in med school, she and I start kind of talking again on the phone, and like I tell her I still like her, mm-hmm. still I'm still in love with her. She kind of agrees, and we start dating long distance <laughs> for about six months. And yeah. Next thing you know, you know, so in 2000, she moves out to Michigan for grad school. She goes to Michigan for public policy. Is there for two years, and then we get married in 2009, and wow, the rest man. is history. Yeah, yeah, that's a great story. It is. It's yeah. gonna have a lot of good stories. Yeah, it's a good story, <laughs> man. So let me ask you. I'm always fascinated by this. So you go to University of Michigan Med School. Mm-hmm. Whenever you see a doctor, particularly a specialist of any kind, yeah. some part of your brain, like as a patient, always goes like, "What? How'd you pick this?" Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you start like, like, "You're a fucking podiatrist," <laughs> like, you know, or like, you know, urologist. You're like, you just hold dicks all day. So, like, <laughs> but you know when I'm <laughs> When I'm in the hospital and I have these injuries, I go, you know, I remember like the, uh, one of the doctors saying, oh, you're going to see one of the best trauma surgeons. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And then immediately, you know, I met you and, and we're talking in there and you have great bedside manner, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. You come in. I was like, who's this kid? <laughs> like, you look like you're fucking 22. That's what I was so, going to now. Oh man. I was like, I was like, this, this guy. So you come in and you have like great best, but then I never got to ask you. So you're in med school. Do you figure out like, yeah. I want to do like, how do you figure out you want to do this? Cause it's, you're doing like, it's really hard. It's a really hard decision. So, you know, at Stanford, when I did my research, I did research in neurosurgery and then I also did research in pediatric cardiology. So, you know, taking care of kids' hearts. Um, so I do I do research in those things when I'm dude. Like, I wrote a fart joke today. 
So I do research in those two things. Uh-huh. And then I get to med school. And you go to med school. And your first two years, you're literally, it's like going back to high school. You sit in the same room every day. And you have lectures about like science. Yeah. And it's just lecture after lecture after lecture. You kind of, it starts to get some like clinical exposure. Meaning they're like, oh yeah, you see this sciencey thing? Mm-hmm. In orthopedics, we talk about it in this situation. And like, it's like, that's it. So you don't really get to meet people, but then they start to have these things called interest groups where an attending or a a surgeon or, you know, medical doctor comes in, has people come and, you know, they talk to them about the specialty and, you know, like, oh, is this something you'd be interested in? So a guy named Cliff Craig, so like I said, another mentor, like every single step in your life, you're going to meet these people, right? So Cliff Craig was my mentor and he gave the talk on orthopedics as a subspecialty. And I'm like, oh, this guy's pretty, he's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he seems like an interesting person. And so I spend a summer doing research with him. Okay. At the same time I'm doing this research, you know, he lets me come and, and scrub into cases in the operating room. I'm in clinic with him. You know, I'm rounding and taking call with the residents in orthopedics. So I spend all this time with these guys and I'm like, this is amazing. Right, so it's this idea of so that know, it blew you away. It, it blew it blew my mind because you know there's a lot of med like there's one thing to have you have diabetes and then someone's like yeah take this insulin and it's not gonna fix your diabetes yeah it's just gonna like make sure you don't die but it's you know but you have to take it forever yeah versus you know oh you tried to dunk and you tore your patellar tendon and you broke your humerus. Mm-hmm. I am going to put it back together and I'm going to, I can look at an x-ray beforehand and I can look at an x-ray afterwards and now it's fixed Yeah. and now it's time for you to do rehab and you can get better. Yeah. Right. And so that component of it was something that I thought was like pretty amazing. You like the, the idea of being like, I'm going to like, I have a tangible result. And And then this person, I'll put them together and then they'll be able to, yeah. They'll be able to kind of get back to at least get close to doing the things they were doing before. Yeah. And so that was the exposure I got in, in med school. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, all right, I want to go to residency in orthopedics. This is what I want to do. And so once you get to residency, then you still have like eight choices to make, right? So if you think about orthopedics, you can be a pediatric orthopedist surgeon. You can be a joint specialist where you do knee replacements and hip replacements. You can do sports, take care of ACLs and things yep. like that. You can do oncology where you take care of cancers of the bone. You can do foot and ankle where literally all you do is foot and ankle. You can do hand. You can do shoulder, elbow. Like There are all of these different specialties that you can pick. Within it. Within it. Yeah. And so then you rotate on all of them as a resident. Um so for five years, you're technically a doctor, but you really don't know that much. Uh-huh. And you're literally learning kind of how to walk and chew gum at the same time. And, yeah. and so during that process is when you get those exposures. And one of the hardest rotations you do as an intern is your orthopedic trauma rotation, right? It's a rotation where you are taking care of people who come in on their worst day, mm-hmm. whether it's somebody who tripped and fell, whether it's somebody who was in a car accident, you know, Patients, it can be some a little old lady who broke her hip to a 25-year-old guy who was on a mini bike and got hit by a car. And, and, and all these seem to be like, all these in particular seem to come with a sense of urgency involved yeah, too. They do. They all, yeah. they all have, you know, obviously 
if someone breaks, if you break your wrist, uh-huh. right? You can walk around, yeah. you can get your wrist fixed in a couple weeks. You yeah. can you can sometimes get it fixed with just a cast. You don't need surgery. Yeah. But they all kind of fall under that window. And as a person, you kind of take care of that collection of patients. Yeah. And so my mentors, my first mentors in orthopedic trauma were, you know, Dean Lorch, um, who, you know, was one of the best surgeons and kind of one of the best orthopedic minds um, I've ever been around. Um, and Dean Helfit, who was his mentor, and they were at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. Um, and my, you know, Lorch is a tough guy. He was a tough guy. He was like a really hard, you know, he's a hard-nosed guy who would hold your feet to the fire and push you, like, to your limits. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I remember that, like, when I first got there, one of the first things I did, I look at him in the face and I go, hi, I'm Milton, I'm the new intern, and I shake his hand. And, and like, my seniors are like, what are you doing, man? This guy's crazy. Really? Like, yeah, because, like, it was, it's one of those things where, as the intern, you just, your goal is just to avoid him. Oh, I got you. Stay you. away from him. And, yeah. you know, but from that, there were little things like, you know, I could talk to him about cases. And, like, when I was an intern, I'd be like, oh, well, this came in overnight. What would you, what would you do for this? Or, or like, mm-hmm. and, you know, sometimes he'd, he'd, like, give me a thoughtful answer where you talk through it. And sometimes he'd be like, I just use my hands. Yeah. And, and you know what I mean? But, like, there was something about the way we went about the process that really resonated with me and, and, you know, I think that was a, you know, that was a turn, that was a turning point. And, and, you know, you do that. Once I did that intern year, I was like, this is what I'm doing. The, period. It seems like, I mean, you know, obviously we need specialists in every field of this, but like <laughs> the one that you chose feels pretty, it feels intense. Like it's an, in, it is, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like a casual stroll in, like, let's see what's going <laughs> on today. So you shattered your leg. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it, I mean, it is, but there's like, you know, I think, from an orthopedic standpoint, there's a few things that are going to wake me up in the middle of the night and make me have to, like, come into the hospital. Mm-hmm. There's only a few, though. So probably, like, in a year, probably five times a year, four times a year. Will you go in the middle of the night? I have to go in the middle of the What night. type of injuries are those? You know, that's somebody who has broken their pelvis that's so unstable that they may bleed out and die. Wow. That's somebody who has broken their bones and the bones have popped out through the skin enough where there's dirt and grime everywhere and it needs to be cleaned. Like that's somebody who has broken a leg and their leg starts to swell to the point where muscles or nerves may die. Would like, the, would Tiger's injury fall in that kind of category? He's a, yes, he's one of those people who are, yeah, that's one where you're probably going to go in the middle of the night or it's going to go immediately. Because of what was reported, I mean, that I think he ended up at UCLA. Uh, yeah, he was at Harbor, and then he ended up at, at Cedars, and then... Okay. But it was a, they said, like a full, like, leg crush. Yeah, yeah, it was just, it was a very, very traumatic injury. Yeah. And so those are things that, you know, have some urgency to them. Yeah. Um, a lot of urgency to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so you, you, do you stay in love with this field as a resident? Like, you're like, this is definitely the I right did. choice. It was, it was that's like, gotta be something that happens too, it, right? It does. It Where does. like, I mean, oh, I picked you, the wrong... So the problem is you have to decide... You have to decide, the like the end of your third year residency. You apply for fellowship, which is your last year of training specifically in this, and you know, you you're not going until two years later. Yeah. So you're you're signing a binding contract at the midpoint of your fourth year to say this is what I love and this is what I'm going to do yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah. And 
you know, I think the thing that happens is I have stayed in love with it. I, I love it. And it's great. You know, I don't see myself changing, but you know, the proc, the practice changes, right? So, you know, I, I don't think all for the rest of my life, I'm going to be going in the middle of the night all the no. time or being on call two days a week. Yeah. But there's still trauma that happens, right? So there's still people who get hurt who come to your office. You can schedule for surgery. You know, eventually I get old enough to hire young people who really want to be there yeah. all the time. You know, like me who are ready to be there ready and to kind go. of get the work done. Yeah. Um, and then it also changes where you can do it where, you know, people have had surgery somewhere else yeah. and it didn't go necessarily well or things healed in appropriate position. And your job is to actually, you know, restore those things. So I still do that. That's part of my practice. You know, those are the things that I schedule as a, you know, somebody comes in on, you know, Wednesday and I'm like, oh, this needs to be done. You've been dealing with this for a year. When do you want to do it within the next month or yeah. six weeks or whatever on your schedule? Okay. Right. So that part of my practice still exists. That still exists. Yeah. Okay. Which probably you kind of need the balance of the yeah, two. You do. Right? Yeah. You do. But I, I think, and then the, the, like the last reason why I went into this is because, you know, I go to work every day and I take care of people. Doesn't matter whether you're black, white, non-insured, you know, the worst insurance ever. Doesn't matter if you're, you know, an illegal immigrant. It doesn't matter if you're visiting from another country. None of those things matter. Yeah. I go to work. I fix people. I do my job. No one's telling me I can't put people back together because they don't have insurance. I can, you know, I take care of people who were in car accidents, who have gunshot wounds, who have you know, any person I take care of. And so, you know, I'm never worried. Like every once in a while people ask, they're like, well, you know, is my insurance going to cover that? And I'm like, I don't know. I just I show up and yeah. go to work, man. Like, <laughs> thank God. I mean, that's, we, you know, everybody, we want people like you out there. Like we need doctors who have that point of view. Yeah. I mean, not all of them do. But I think, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think the hard part about medicine is that there are a lot of things that are immediate and there are a lot of things that, you know, are completely debilitating for people, mm-hmm. but may not be considered to need immediate attention. Mm-hmm. And so those are the people who get hurt in the insurance. Sure. In the and insurance it, it gets issue. kicked down the road kicked, yeah, and then their condition deteriorates. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, and, it, and, it, and that's the thing that, you know, I think for us, you know, my partners and I, I you know, I have a great group of people I work with. Um, Mark Veris is our chair. He's the trauma guy. Um, Charles Moon, another trauma person. Carol Lynn um, and Jeff Marisek, who are like our four people who are trauma surgeons who work at Cedars. And then we're hiring a guy named John Garlic, who was one of our residents who trained with us and who somehow, some way, we had that impact on him. And he decided to go into this crazy specialty and want to come back and work with us. Like we all have that same mindset of just, get the work done. Yeah. Take care of the people. Yeah. Do the right thing. And, you know, I think that if you have people like that, it makes it easy to go to work. Sure. Right. It makes it easy to work with people and make, you know, I'm not worried that like my partner's going to be like, Oh, this guy doesn't have insurance. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to roll it to, I'm going to give it to so-and-so. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, that is never a conversation. It never comes up. It's never an issue. Thank God, man. And so I'm, I'm just lucky to work with the people I work with. Well, I think we're lucky to have you. Um, before we get into the specifics of mine, uh, real quick, I've ne- I, I don't remember us, because we're about the same age, yeah. growing up with such a loud 
anti-vax uh, contingency out there. Like, thank I appreciate you bringing this up. Okay, so this is so critical because here's the thing. Like, like as I mean, you know, as a kid, you know, vaccinations were standard, and like, it, uh, anti-vax was like a fringe element. Like, you didn't really hear about it then. Let's say 15, 20 years, somewhere in that in that range, you know, there was like Jenny McCarthy got mm-hmm. late. You know, she was like kind of the big voice saying like vaccinations cause autism. Yeah. Um, that got a little bit of steam, yep. but it was sort of quickly, somewhat quickly debunked. And basically, if you did any research, you would find that there was no medical evidence yeah. to support that. Yeah. There was even one study that did support it that was found to be basically a, yeah, a false study <laughs> a garbage study and so and i and look i i'm you know i have kids i'm very fortunate that they're healthy kids yeah. um and i know like i know certain parents who go like well yeah i know something happened that day yeah. when they go and you go okay like I, i'm not gonna shit on your experience or whatever but now there's this really loud like voice of Hey man, uh, you know, vaccines are bullshit, and like they're, they're planting chips in your neck. I'm like, yeah. what? Like, so I've like, you're a doctor, right? Correct. So, okay. Correct. So, uh, can what is your opinion yeah. on vaccinations? Yeah. Maybe even specifically the yeah. COVID ones. But. So, I mean, in general, my my position on vaccinations are that they keep people alive, right? Vaccinations have stopped polio vaccinations have you know decreased have have stopped measles except for in locations where people aren't getting vaccinated um you know without vaccinations people would die Mm -hmm. and you know i was one of that you and i were probably both in that group of people who still had chicken pox yeah who people were like yeah go hang out with that person who has chicken pox so everybody gets it yeah now and we get over with it right um so i wasn't in the chicken pox you know, vaccination group, but my kids are, Mm -hmm. and you know, they're never going to experience the misery uh, that is sitting in a like calamine oil. I mean, calamine lotion bath and like having that stuff itching, but they also won't experience the joy of scratching scabs off your head. (laughs) You're like, Oh, there's another one on my head. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm all in on vaccinations and I, I think that there is a, you know, I, Sad things happen to people, you know, and, you know, people have issues, you know, people have complications in medicine, um, people have complications with birth, you know, there are birth abnormalities. Like, yeah, we have to recognize that, like, being normal isn't really the norm, considering how many processes have to happen for somebody to have an uncomplicated pregnancy and birth and upbringing and childhood and, sure. and that whole process. Well, it's such a scary, I mean, as exactly. a, it's a scary process when your wife's giving birth. You're yeah. like, like you is know. this going to happen? Yeah, you don't you're know. You're like, wait, wait, is that, yeah. what is happening yeah, right yeah, now? Yeah. yeah. And then his head's all, fun. Yeah. you're like, is his head like that forever? <laughs> and they're like, no, it'll go back. And <laughs> so when bad things happen, yeah. people want a reason. Yeah. And there are periods where people will cling to something that they think is their reason for this bad thing happening. Sure. And that's why things gain steam like you said yeah and so you know like you said i i can't fault somebody for finding out why something bad happened and why this was my experience and wanting to know the exact reason why when a lot of times there's not an easy why yeah right like there's 
millions of codes of DNA that say why this happened. Sure. That, you know, just was off like that. So that's just overall vaccinations. The COVID vaccination is just like the management and the care of COVID itself mm -hmm. and the pandemic. Yeah. Once you politicize something as heavy as it has been, you're going to have vac anti-vaxxers who are clinging to something. Yeah. Um, or not even anti-vaxxers, but just people who are clinging to a political decision to say that this vaccination is wrong because they were told that by somebody. Sure. Right. There's certain reasons why there weren't announcements made about the former president getting vaccinated. Yes. Yes. Because that could hurt his base who may not support, believe in vaccination yeah, but, or support vaccination. Which is great. Like, it's yeah. crazy. That, like, and, you know, I think, and when I, you know, I, I look, when I look at people of color, I think, I think there's, there's this, um, there's this kind of argument that says, hey, people of color, black people are not getting vaccinated because of things like the Tuskegee experiment, because of, you know, inappropriate sterilization of women, because people have been injected inappropriately yes. with, you know, and those things are all true. That right. is some, re that is a reason why some people have some fear of vaccinations. But one of the main reasons people of color aren't getting vaccinated yeah. is because there aren't vaccination clinics in areas where people of color live. Or they're, the only way to sign up for vaccinations are to go on the internet and sit there for three hours and refresh your screen yeah. and press buttons and hope when people have jobs, yeah, yeah. right? Where yeah. you know you don't have the ability to be at home and refreshing yeah. constantly. Right. You have to, you're working one or two jobs so that you can kind of make ends meet. Yeah. And so people don't even have the option just like the same reason people of color weren't getting tested at the same rates as white people. Sure. Right. And so, you know, there is an extent, there is a, a component of people who are like, you I don't, I don't want to do it because of this reason. I mean, and I was, I, under, I understand the general yeah. mistrust uh, almost specifically from the black community. If you look like at historical, oh, like, you know, absolute abuse. The I mean, treated like literally like animals, like experiments. Yeah. I, I know, mean, that's, like, so that's how all of the, all of the, like, you know, all of the evolution of OB and gynecolo gynecologic medicine, right, was, was performed on black women without anesthesia. It's, it's just a colorful <laughs> And that guy has a statue. In our, yeah, that's <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, Honor you know, him. So that's my, my vaccination thing. My, my vaccination thing is if you haven't, I mean, get the COVID vaccination. Okay. That's the way we get back to normal. And like, should I trust and you or this guy in my Instagram comments? I don't Instagram know. Instagram comment guy is probably pretty smart. Pretty smart guy. Probably a smart guy. Probably went to medical school. Probably. Yep. But you probably. know, I, you know, as, as physicians yeah. and being a first liner, um, you know, and I, I, I'm not a first liner, like the people who were in the emergency room. Yeah. You know, I took care of people who broke bones, but may have had, but also had COVID. Yeah. But you know, I wasn't, every day in the middle of the emergency room like that. That wasn't my job, and thank God. And, um, and the, you, you could probably, I mean, like somebody, like I said, not that smart, not a doctor. One of the things that makes sense to me to look at, and I saw a, a doctor write about this, was uh, look at stats <laughs> with no vaccine. Exactly. So here's none. <laughs> and then with the vaccine. And it's like look at hospitalizations and deaths with no vaccine. Yeah. And then compare it to with the vaccine, and like that's a pretty good easy way to exactly. balance 
the numbers, right? It is. And I, I, I think the hardest part is we're at this point where we're right on this scale where things are getting so great yes. that people are like, I'm going outside. I'm going to go to the club. I'm going to go yeah. to the bar. I'm going to do all of these things. And what you're not realizing is there are a lot of people who are vaccinated, mm-hmm. but not enough. Right. And so you may be going to these places and there may be a lot of people who aren't vaccinated and who are there, but they're just living off up because the state kind of released mandates. Sure. And so. Well, I just read two, like two things. We need between 70 and 90% of the population to yep. be vaccinated in order to have like herd immunity. Yep. And the second thing I read that was like kind of uh, scary was that there's an increasing number of people who are not getting their second vaccination shot. Yep. And they're trying to like encourage people like yep. if it's a you're two only, dose shot. If you, if you get a single dose, you're only 50% protected. Yeah. So. Okay. So cool to have a doctor <laughs> weigh in on it. Now. Okay. Now we can get to the good stuff. Now this so, is the most important part. Of this it. is the most important part. <laughs> so you show up at the hospital and you're like, great. One of the Lakers hurt himself. And so you come in. <laughs> And you realize it's not me. Now, one of the things uh, I told you, you came in. I don't remember if you knew what had happened at first. I no, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what happened. Yeah, you just knew about you. Know, you see I mean, the, I heard this. I heard he was playing basketball. Okay. And this. then I remember I was sitting with you where you came in and I was like, yeah, I actually have it on video. And you were like, oh, I'd like to see that. And then uh, when I showed it to you, you were like, I don't want to see that again. And I was like, what? And you're like, dude, that was nasty. I was like, you're a doctor. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're like that was gruesome. But I was like, send it. I was like, can you send it to me? Now? Yeah, yeah. I did, I did. <laughs> and I did. I sent it to you. Um, so one of the things I've I've never. I mean, I've had like my. You recommended brilliant PT yeah. Karen Joubert. She's, yeah, she was great. She's told me numerous times. She goes, these are gnarly, bad injuries you have. Like really bad. Yeah. When when you see them as the surgeon, yeah. What what hits you immediately? Like when you see the the two in uh, two like yeah. pretty severe injuries, right? So. You know, and, and I would actually say you have three severe three, injuries, right? right? So, yeah. like, I hear the story from the rest. So, this is what happened. So, I think you came in on a Monday? No. Or, you know, Tuesday? Uh, well, I got injured December 1st. I was there December 2nd. Yeah, so whatever whatever days they were. All yeah. I, I remember, Tuesday or Wednesday, yeah. Or, yeah, I remember meeting you mm-hmm. and then telling you, I'm going to do your surgery two days later. Yeah. And you being like, two days later? Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the residents, at her, at live, when I was in the fast track... He was like, he looked, he was like, oh, the knee. He goes, yeah, the arm. I don't know. We might do it in a couple weeks. And I go, what the fuck are you talking about? In a couple weeks. And he was like, what? And I go, I'm not waiting a couple weeks. I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I just got freaked out by it. So you see, you see both injuries, in, so or three injuries, right? So you had a patellar tendon rupture, you had a humeral shaft fracture, and you had a um, radial nerve palsy. And the radial nerve is one of the nerves that helps you extend your wrist, extend your fingers, mm-hmm. kind of, and and make a thumbs up, right? Like. Like, and it's getting, it's getting there. You're it's back there. It's getting there. Oh man. Slow. But, but those are like three bad injuries. Right. And, you know, I think the thing that gives me the most concern, the honestly, yeah. is a radial nerve palsy. Really? That was like the number one thing where I was like, eh. I was like, number one, because it just, it comes back 70% of the time, mm-hmm. but you just don't know when for some people it comes back at six weeks. Some people it comes back at you know, six months, some people at two years, some people need to have surgery to get like their function back. So yeah. you just don't know. Like a humeral shaft, you put the bones together, put metal plates and screws, and it heals like 95% of the time. So is that kind of like, like the easiest 
it's, the fix of what we it's, it was probably well i mean you know I mean? Lo- looking at it i mean it was yeah. probably the most straightforward in terms okay. of you know you can and we talked about it i was like you can treat this without surgery yes you did tell me and that. you know that requires you to wear a brace come back and see me every week and like you can't use crutches you can't do these things so i was like you know for you having a knee injury it makes it almost impossible to treat it non-operatively and you know i think surgery is the best thing for you yeah the patellar tendon in general it's a pretty straightforward procedure can you pull up that image the yeah. patellar tendon image um so one of the things i remember you telling me was that um you you told me that i ruptured yeah. my patellar tendon in 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 an unusual place yeah yeah like most of the times yeah it so ruptures mo- at what at where it's connected yeah so so if you look at that little ball on the front like that's this is the side view of the knee and that little ball in the front is your kneecap which most is in the of, wrong place it's yeah so it's sitting really yeah. really hot yeah it's sitting a lot higher than it should be most of the time when you rupture your kneecap it, or when you rupture patellar tendon it comes just off the tip of the kneecap uh-huh. so if you go to the next uh i guess two picture or go to the mri picture so if you look at the MRI, uh-huh. like the resident was like, you know, they, they mentioned the ultrasound and then the resident's like, yeah, the ultrasound says that it's ruptured in the middle of the patellar tendon. And, you know, all of us are in conference. So me, you know, all my partners were sitting there and we're like, that never happens. It's so, it never happens. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, 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 that's what it says. And then we get the MRI and we look at the MRI and we're like, it looks like it ruptured in the middle of the tendon or at least you know you see how that thing is like folded the little black line that's folded yep that right there mm-hmm. that should just be a straight line going directly to the tibia so, so that's the tendon yeah so that's okay. the tendon okay so i'm like huh that's weird and wow. then we get in the operating room and we like we open it and it's ruptured like right in the middle and torn from like the the top part of the tibia like wow. right from that edge and I was like, okay, this is not what I was expecting. You know, it, it just makes me have to think about it and fixing it and repairing it in a different How, way. So when you, like, when looking at this now, what is your approach then to repair it? Yeah, so the approach to repair it, so normally you make some drill holes through the kneecap mm-hmm. and you pass stitches through the kneecap and you tie them over the top and that just repairs that tendon. This time we had to kind of pass stitches through the tendon and then put drill holes in your tibia oh. and pass those stitches around and tie them there. And so that's, it's just the opposite of what we usually do. So that I've done that. I've had to do that twice in my career. Wow. Yeah. It's just, it just, does, it's just rare. does it, does the fact that it happened in the middle inform you in, in any way, or is it just incidental? Uh, the main, re- it, it's probably just incidental. Okay. Um, but the main thing it kind of informs you of is that, you know, maybe you didn't have any, a lot of times when people tear their patellar tendon, it's because they had some tendonitis, uh-huh. like either at the top or at the bottom of the tendon mm-hmm. that's been there for a while. And so it just, it speaks to how much force you were able to generate. So that's, I'm super strong. So you're super strong. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Cause I've been saying that for years. So, yeah. I mean, you know, the thing I keep, I've, I've told people this, you know, they don't like, it's hard to communicate all the feelings and, and thoughts that you have when you when something like this happens one of them is that you're like we were just having fun like <laughs> like we were having a good time that day you know like we played we played basketball first yeah and then we went and did this stupid dunk thing which is 100% my fault and 
and we're just like doing it increment like yeah. seven eight eight yeah. and a half like we're just like having fun it was all, it was and all then good. i felt like i was like did i just get shot like i felt like <laughs> like a fucking car hit me or something like it was it was it's so it's so unexpected yeah there's like no, a shock element never, to it no, happening you know no one no one expects to do that right like no it's i was talking to i was talking to one a friend of mine and he was talking about when he tore his achilles he's like yeah i just started to run real quick yeah, and it just and it just I thought I looked behind me. I thought somebody kicked me in my leg. Yeah, and they didn't. But yeah, it's just I want. I wanted to be like when I was laying there. I was like, who took my legs out from <laughs> under me? Like I was like, which one of you? Yeah, yeah I was freaking out. <laughs> now, how much like because I never actually asked you this. Would was me carrying so much weight a part of this? It could have been, yeah, right? That, definitely. I mean, it, it it impacts you. I think that's a conversation that I have with all my patients. It's like, well, my knee still hurts after blah blah blah. It's like, well. You could lose some weight, uh -huh. and it'll take some of the pressure off your knee, and it will help. So yeah, that I mean, and how it, often do they listen to me? Yeah. No one listens to me. My kids don't listen to me. My wife doesn't listen to me. Nobody listens to me. I listen to you. My doc. patients don't listen. I listen to you, man. Okay, Mister Bench Pressing Three Hundred. Well, I, 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 I <laughs> okay, okay, all right. We'll get we'll get to that. Hold on, I, I forgot that one. Uh, <laughs> your, your face that day was great. So. All right, so let's let's get through these first. Hold on, <laughs> fuck, I forgot about that. So, so this one. All right, so this yeah. this is an incredible yeah. image, by the way. So this so, is so that's that, right? So, and then I think if you go to the next MRI picture, so just see how it's like all bright white. Yeah, that's just like sadness. Yeah, right? and the bright white is like fluid and bleeding, and and so that's all it's doing is showing us. You know, I, oh, this is bad. I. I so I, I talked to the PTs are, are fascinating. I have a friend who was also a PT yeah. and he was like, he was asking me, he goes, did you not feel pain in one place? And I was like, yeah, I go, I didn't feel pain in my leg knee area until a few days after surgery. Yeah. Like before surgery, I was like, all I felt was this arm. The that's pain was so that's intense. Just the arm is, the arm is miserable. Yeah. It's miserable. And like, you also had on like, a coaptation splint, which is like the worst splint ever. It goes up to your neck. Yeah. It's massive. Yeah. And then even though it's supposed to like keep you sturdy, every time you move your arm wrong, oh, you feel the bone you edges feel, go yeah, click, it's, click, and click. It's so and painful. It's miserable. It's so, and I remember the two, they would like give me drugs and they'd be like, how's your pain? I'm like the same. What are you talking about? Like it, it's never getting better. It does, the pain is not until I got dilated. That's it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Now, you, you're not the first person to tell me that whoo, from a patient. I still remember that nurse going, a lot of people say you feel a warm rush in your chest. And she gives it to me and it was like three, two, one. I was like, oh, <laughs> I felt like fire in my chest. I was like, oh man, drugs are good. <laughs> um, the next, what's the next image we have? Um, go to the, here, why don't you, I guess go to the patella like afterwards or, or this, or you can go to this. Yeah. I don't know. What is I this? think that one, um, Go to the. I think there's an X-ray of the humerus beforehand. Yeah, there's a there's a before. It's it's the it's just after the knee X-ray. Yeah, there, there you go. go. So that's what my arm looks yes. like. Yes. So that's what your arm looks like. That's a pretty clean break. Yeah, it was. It's clean-ish, right? Like yeah. to some extent, oh, right. it's clean, and then there's like these little fragments pieces which are miserable. Yeah. Like they're not small enough to put screws and in. And then you clean those out, like you just. Some kind of, of them you take out. Yeah. The ones that don't aren't attached to anything, you have to take them out, or they just they Wild. can be a problem. And then some of them, you know, they just kind of stay in place and help to. Now, one thing I down. do remember clearly yeah. is, you know, I'd, I'd met with you in the room mm -hmm. and then, you know, you're like, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll perform surgery tomorrow. Yeah. And I remember a resident coming in mm -hmm. 
and I was like, oh, where's the, uh, where's the incision going to be? And he was like, oh, it'll be along your tricep. And I was like, okay. And I woke up, it's on the bicep. Yeah. And I, I was just curious, like, yeah. there's was two he different wrong? Ways. Oh, no, 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 there's like, two different ways to do it. And yours is right on that junction where you can either do it from the backside mm -hmm. on the triceps or you can go from the front. And just kind of location-wise, the fact that it was a little lower, I made the decision to go to, to go the front side. Okay. And then one thing I was curious, does, like you cut through the muscle, I guess, right? Or no? So you don't, you kind of spread, right? Oh, you, you do. You spread. Okay. There's one little muscle down on the bottom mm -hmm. that you have to cut, that you have to kind of spread through. Um, but you spread through it in a point where there's nerves that come in from both sides mm -hmm. and they're two separate nerves. So you work through that area in between them. So I know it's, it's, it's just, nuts. It's, it's bananas. It's, it's, like all these things it's you so crazy that you do this. Like, I mean, you know, also when I see the images afterwards of like the plate, if you can go to the next image, like the plate with screws in there and you're like, how do you get this in here? Yeah. You this, know? So like the first one we put in just to kind of hold things in position, uh -huh. you can see that little piece on the side and then you can go to the next one. And that's just kind of holding that little piece in place and then you can go to the next, then we put a big plate that actually allows us to, to really kind of protect your arm. And so yeah. that's the next one. Oof. Yeah. So, so that's that, in my, and by the way, it's in your arm. Yeah. Uh, like, that's the front side. Yeah, this stays, right? This will never stays forever. People, unless you really want it out. Yeah, you some, don't have to have it out. Some people have told me that, um, in some cases a body will reject, nah, you know, no, it, that I mean, some people have pain or some people don't really like, the idea of metal in their body. Yeah. And there are some patient places that are really, really like superficial. And so when you have metal there, like a clavicle, yeah, it can be irritating or like right on the elbow. And so people want that metal out because they just, it hurts, right? So you lean the wrong way, you put a backpack on or something like that. They want it out. But this is covered by muscle. It's like, yeah. it's in a place where you shouldn't ever need to have it out. Yeah, I don't think I want it out. No, like, yeah. no, I don't think so. No, and I, I think that would suck to get it out. <laughs> now you yeah. told me also that you know i could have had a severed radial nerve or, yes. or damaged yep. but it but it wasn't no the nerve was intact we kind of checked it at the bottom we checked it to make sure everything was intact and you know it it and that's a good thing right so that's why things are starting to wake up and yeah. things are starting to come back yeah yeah it's, it's starting so. to get there um yeah I, I also tell you i mean i tell you this in person but i i was like overwhelmed emotionally yeah in the hospital and in recovery at how like how I just felt like fortunate like so lucky you know you're talking about like yeah. clinics being in in not in certain areas like yeah. I was like I'm so lucky that first it was the doctor who told me about you <laughs> goes uh you're this is like when I'm like holding my arm yeah. and I, I have a brace on he's like oh well you're lucky and I was like excuse me yeah and he was like well you, he he literally goes you could have landed on the back of your head and you'd be speaking with a slur for the rest of your life. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And he just get over to Cedars. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so that was my first dose of you're lucky. But then I got overwhelmed. Like I was in the, like the fast track and I have my friend Bert who's with me. And I'm like, so grateful that he stayed with me. Cause it was the first time where I was like, I really, I usually do like, you know, things alone. Like yeah. if you're like, I'm going to come with you, I'd be like, I'm yeah. good. Yeah. And I really wanted someone with me, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I was grateful for that. Then I was like, I'm so lucky that I can get first class medical treatment, oh, yeah. you know? Lucky that I got you to perform the operation. And I, I, and I felt that. extremely grateful for that. And then I told you, I was like, you know, I never really felt like I had an, like a real appreciation for all the other people 
mm-hmm. in medical, like for instance, nurses, right? Yeah. Nurses, I think if you're a generally healthy person, your interaction with a nurse is like you see your physician, <laughs> your nurse has your blood pressure, maybe <laughs> yeah. draws blood, which yep. is not no. unimportant. Like no. it is, but you go like, you know, what do you think of nurses? You're like, they're great. I'm glad there's nurses, you know? <laughs> but like when you're in the hospital and recovery and you're having nurses tend to your every single need, like, you know, I've tried to explain that like, I couldn't do a thing. Nothing. 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 I couldn't reach no. for it like this. I could, you know, like, I could, and they're like, I mean, making sure you're comfortable, you're fed, you're bathed, you're, you're clean, you know, like you're, they just, you feel overwhelmed yeah. with, with the, and then the food runners yeah. and people, you know, making sure you're okay. That whole experience Every, you know, was the, very overwhelming. I think that, you know, I'm lucky, you know, the seventh floor OR staff, the nurses, the surgical yeah. techs, the, um, you know, the EVS or the, the environmental services who clean the rooms and kind of turn things over. You know, I work with phenomenal people who appreciate their job yeah. and, and appreciate the, their importance, yeah. right? Like how important every single person is to making the system work. You need to have them all. And then, you know, the seventh floor nurses, you know, seven North nurses who, and kind of the managers and kind of, once again, the environmental services people who clean your rooms, who change your sheets, who like the food people who bring you your food. Like every single person is so critical to kind of like making sure that experience for you is not miserable. Oh my God. All it takes is one person to make it miserable. Yeah. And like, you're like, Oh man, this this is the worst thing ever. And you know, I, (laughs) I've been admitted to a hospital and like one, I, um, the morning, like four o'clock in the morning, someone comes in and they go, Hey, um, I need you to get out of the bed and I need to weigh you. And I'm like, now at four in the morning, he's like, yeah, I was supposed to do it last night, but I didn't. And, <laughs> but I got to do it. But like, you know, I mean, it's, it's part of everybody's job. Right. So and yeah. like, for me, it's like, God, this is a pain in the butt, but I, I got to get up. I do it. And you know, I know that this guy didn't want to like wake me up at four in the morning. Like the last thing he wanted to do yeah. was wake me up at four in the morning sure. and, and so that he doesn't get in trouble for that. And so, yeah. you know, when you're admitted to the hospital, part of it is everybody is literally going out of their way to make things as good for you as they possibly can. Yeah. And when things aren't good, please just recognize that the person who is making it not great for you is very sad that that, 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 yeah. that, that that's your experience and they don't want you to, to, to kind of feel that way sure so I, you know that's that's my disclaimer for like hospital staff and kind of you know being admitted and kind of going through that process but you know like you say it is they do everything for you like yeah every single thing yeah even the most like embarrassing things yeah <laughs> yeah they do which like it, you know it's humbling and and it like yeah you just i mean i would listen i would openly weep about this yeah. like i'd be sitting in my bed alone yeah Sometimes it would be two staff, you know, and I didn't understand why that was happening either. You know, it was, it was overwhelming though. I mean, this is a conversation I have with my patients all the time. Right. So like you must see that. Oh Uh, yeah. Constantly. Right. So post-traumatic stress is a very, very real thing. And I have to bring like, you know, when I, when I operate on, so somebody who breaks their pelvis, right. In a car accident, I have to talk to them about, breaking their pelvis, the fact that they're not going to walk in three months. I have to talk, I have to ask them, you know, when they come back, are you getting erections? Is your sexual function working well? Um, are you, 
you know, are you having nightmares? Are you remembering these things? Are you replaying this? Can you get in a car without feeling like overwhelmed? Wow. Like these are all the conversations that we have. And, you know, I think that we as a people focus really, really heavily on like the cool x-rays and the cool injuries. Right. But I think for you to say that, I think it's really important for people to understand. Like it is completely normal to when you undergo something like this to be emotionally overwhelmed. Yeah. Right. Because you think about this is like, well, am I going to be able to walk? Am I going to be able to stand and do a show? Am I going to be able to move my fingers? Yeah. Am I going to be able to hold my kids? Am I going to be able to play sports with my kids? Yeah. Am I going to be able, like there are, there's a thousand, yeah, there's thousands and thousands of things running through your mind. And like to be overwhelmed is completely normal Mm -hmm. and completely like, you know, I think the important thing is that you tell somebody that you're overwhelmed. Definitely. And like, you know, I think we talked about it. I was like, well, if you need to talk to somebody, we can get you like a recommendation for that as well. Because I think that's, you know, for a lot of people, I think there's this stigma on, I don't want to, I don't need to see a therapist. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I can just muscle through this. And other people just go like, you broke your arm. What are you, what's the big deal? And you're like, yes, it doesn't, (laughs) that you're not helping. You know what I mean? But the arm's fixed now, right? Yeah, they're fixed. It's fixed. And you're like, yeah, that's not, but it's, it's not about the arm breaking. It's yeah. like it's the entire episode, right? Yeah. It's like the whole it's thing. The, it's it's the admission to the hospital. It's the like lack of independence. It's yeah. the like the the financial right. Like I have a family. How yeah. will I pay for my family to eat yeah. food? Sure. <laughs> How will I pay my mortgage? Like yeah. all of that stuff is real. Like yeah, it's in you your know, head the whole time. When I have to tell somebody, hey, well, you're not going to be able to walk for, you're not going to put any weight on this leg for three months. They're like, well, I have to go to work. It's like, like, I was like, well, what kind of work do you do? Well, I'm, I do construction. I said, not now. Yeah. Not right now. Like you, you had about six months before you're climbing on a roof, my friend. Yeah. And the, the other thing is like, dude, you know, there was people who were there like, they message you and they go, I had like similar injuries. Uh, you'll never be the same. And you're like, <laughs> what this is so and, true and then you go what are you talking about and the guy's like yeah i kill, still can't feel my hand and this and that and i go really and he goes well i never did any of the pt and i'm like what the fuck are you telling me this for then man like why didn't you do pt he's like i don't know i, I didn't feel, feel like, like it, it. Yeah. You're like, okay yeah because you know one of the uh, my friend krista stefano is a very funny comedian was a pt before he yeah. became a comic he was telling me all things like he knew yeah. he goes like did you you know you get real emotional about this and that. Yeah, he goes, you feel like intense bonds with like your caretakers. And then I was like, yes. And then he's like, do you feel like um, like parts of your personality kind of shift, like almost like break out of your shell? And I go, yeah, and, and to a degree, yeah. He's like, I saw, I saw this all the time. Like, and he would, he would explain to me that like you, you just, he said like some people like personality wise had like a complete shift oh, yeah. after the, their injuries. I mean, I, you know, I learned so much from every single patient. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like everything that happens in life, right? Something happens bad and you can either like, it's the the old two roads thing, Mm -hmm. right? You either like rebound from it, get better. And you're like, I'm going to recover. I'm going to work through this, the hardships and the difficulty. And like, I'm going to get back or you're like, I got hurt. This sucks. Yeah. I'm never going to be the same. Yeah, and yeah. Shrink. Yes. And like you told me one of the first things you're like, you'll play sports again. Yep. <laughs> you're like, you'll what do you what do you like to play? I was like, oh, tennis. You're like, yeah, you'll play tennis. You'll play. But it, yeah. Like it'll just take time, but you'll yeah. you'll play again. It. You have to believe that you can do all those things. Yeah. If you don't believe it, if you're if if you have any doubt that you're going to do it, 
You're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. And I, I think that the thing is that for most people, they will get, they will be able to do it. If they do the therapy, if yeah, they push themselves, if now, are you going to be as good as you were before? Yeah. I hope so. If yeah. you put in the time and you put in the effort, you will be. But if, when you start doing it and you're like, well, I run funny, so I'm not going to run anymore. Yeah. 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 You run funny because you haven't run in six months. Sure. Like you have to learn to do it again. So yeah. you, it's going to take you six months to run again. You also gave me the, I mentioned her, but the best PT, Dr. Karen, was Karen, great. Karen Joubert, who great. uses very colorful language, <laughs> and, uh, but, but really pushed me, but like was the best balance of like pushing me, yeah. supporting me, yeah. um, really helped yeah. rehab this whole thing in an incredible way. Good. I mean, really, really incredible. And she like, yeah, she's just so well, like all this stuff is just like, sec like you operating as her, PT, you know, yeah. like, like to train, like yeah. she just knows right away what to do. Yep. It was great. It was yeah. great, man. Good. A amazing experience with her. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, that we're. So the only time I kind of ignored you, I didn't really ignore you. I just. Well, you did. Well, I mean, you did. I, you did. Well, I, I'm going to take, I'll take some credit for that. I said, okay. you are now weight bearing as tolerated. I said that. Yeah. yeah. I did. So here's what happened. <laughs> so you told me you can lift up to 15 pounds. Yes. And correct. I thought that meant. 300. No, I, I, I thought. And 15 pounds. No, I thought that meant like curl like with the arm yeah so what happened was my my buddy sean came over who trains me and he's like i go we can only do 15 with this he's like what about with deadlifts and i was like i don't know and then, and then he was like what about bench i was like he didn't say anything about bench so we were benching and i remember that i was like man this fucking hurts and so i saw you the next week and you're like, how is everything? And you have the mask on. We're in your office. And I go, I go, everything's pretty good. I go, I have a little bit of pain here. And uh, I go, I noticed it a lot after I benched. And you went, what do you mean bench? And I go, bench press. And you're like, I know what a bench press is. <laughs> I go, I go, yeah. You go, how much are you benching? I was like, not a lot. I was like, it was, and you go, well, what's not a lot? And I go, I think we did like warm up weight, man, like 135, and then we got 155 or something. And you're like, you are cleared to lift 15 pounds. <laughs> And I mean, you have to like show the show, I guess the final x-ray of his humorous, like the, the last one. And, and you know, th you're six weeks out from surgery. Yeah. Yeah. That you're was... not like three months out. Like yeah. when, like yeah, when you was... tell, when you come back bench pressing, it's your like six week or your like eight week visit. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I didn't approve you for that. I know. And, and Karen I, gave you some colorful language after that one. She did. And she then did. I gave my trainer colorful yeah, language. Yeah, because I, I can't yell at you. And I can't really yell at my yeah, patients no, and cuss did. them. Yeah. Cussing them, sometimes, it, like, some people need it. Yeah. Like, some people I have, like, some people need it. Like, I didn't think you needed it yet. Yeah. Yet. But, but mine, but, in my defense, but mine was from stupidity. It yeah. wasn't from trying to ignore. I was yeah. like, I'm <laughs> dumb, and I didn't register the instructions. Yeah. So, you know, you can't be mad at stupid. No, I no, it's fine. You just pet my you head do, and go, do better. You do know? better. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. All right. But, other, but I did lose weight. You did. You lost but, a bunch. Like every time you came back, I'm like, are you you're shriveling up? And then man. you started to shrivel. I'm like, what are you doing, man? I got my, look, man, I, it's my, my ritual in January. I got to lose weight. I got every January. Like, I, well now, I mean, it's two Januaries in a row, I should yeah, say. Yeah. So I looked at, uh, I, I, I got on a scale and I'm like, oh, like I've never weighed over a hundred, over 200 pounds. Mm -hmm. So look at the scale. I'm like 199. I'm like, uh oh. Uh, so like, I just like started exercising. Cause you started. You looked notably different. I started exercising hard. I you know, January 3rd and went like three months straight, pretty pretty aggressively. And 
you know, I got down to like one one seventy nine, one eighty. I'm like one eighty five now. So okay, I'm happy with it. Good. I'll stay here. Good. That's great, man. Yeah, I'm still going. I'm I'm down uh thirty two pounds now. Good lord. And I'm I'm gonna try to keep going because I want to get. I don't want to say the number because then people like yeah tell it. They're, like, they're, they're like here's what you should weigh. And yeah. like, Who asked you? I didn't <laughs> exactly. ask you anything. That's so. no. I twenty one eighty five is I still am fat on the BMI scale. Yeah, <laughs> Are we ever gonna uh, like do away with that thing? We need to change it. It's like it's a seventy year old or a hundred year old like. All right. Um. <laughs> so, from here, I know I go. I I, I have a little nerve test coming yep. up. So I mean, I think the biggest things for you is the bones are healing slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, the patellar tendon is great, right? You said you're doing almost everything you want to do. You yeah. got a little brace for it. Yeah. Um, a little tightness, but it, yeah. I mean, I feel like at this point that makes sense, right? Yep. And it keeps getting back. I mean, your range of motion is great. You're almost back to full range of motion. Yeah. Probably at full range of motion. So we do a nerve test to see where the nerves are right now mm-hmm. um, because they're improving. Like, you know, you guys have to understand, I mean, and he's talked about it. His arm was dead. Like he had no, yeah, no like he couldn't make I a would, thumbs up. I would just pick it he up and it would just drop. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're huge, way advanced from that standpoint. And so we'll have, you know, after we do the nerve test, we'll see where you're at. And then I'll have one of my nerve guys see you, mm-hmm. uh, a guy named Mitch Saruya, who's a, who's a plastic surgeon who does kind of nerve and kind of tendon reconstruction if the nerves aren't recovering fast enough. Um, so that, that could be necessary if things aren't going fast enough or he feels like you're behind a little bit. Um, so that's kind of the next step. Okay. So, you know, our, you know, like we talked about, the hope is that we don't need to do anything. I hope so. But yeah. <laughs> the saga continues. I don't know exactly. what's going to happen. Exactly. Um, well, look, man, I just wanted to say I am eternally grateful that I met you, that you were my surgeon, that you operated on me. You're a wonderful guy. And uh, I, I just, I'm so grateful to, to have you as my doctor. Well, I appreciate that. I, you know, it's a pleasure taking care of you. Make it, there are certain people who make it pretty easy. Yeah. Um, and they make, you know, you, you have these clinic days where you see patients and like you have these days where everybody's in a good mood and happy yeah. and they may have had terrible injuries, but they're doing really well. And like the day moves relatively quickly. Yeah. But that's a good thing because people are like, they're just there for kind of to catch up. And yeah. you know, like I tell my patients, you, you know, you're, you're at least stuck with me for a year. Yeah. And you know, you got myself, so you know, I guess you're stuck with me forever. I text you all the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, if you need anything, obviously. I appreciate it, man. And I, I will dunk again, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. On like seven and a half. Come on, man. <laughs> we got to get you, we, we get you to eight, probably eight, maybe eight and a half. What, you're on nine, nine, two when it well, happened? Nine, three is when it happened. I, okay. I cleared nine. Okay. So I'm, you know, the goal is obviously to get back to like 10, five, 11, yeah. something like that. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Dr. Milton Little, thanks so much. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for having me.